Welcome to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Be Set Free features the teaching ministry of Pastor Nick Cady. Pastor Nick's desire is to bring the gospel into our lives so we can experience the joy and freedom that can only be found through Jesus. Today's message comes from our series, An Anchor for the Soul, a verse-by-verse study of the book of Hebrews. Here's Pastor Nick. Amen. Good morning. Welcome to Whitefields Community Church. We're glad you're here with us this morning to worship. Uh, Please open with me in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, the New Testament letter to the Hebrews. And we will be in chapter 13 today, which is the final chapter of the book. For the past few months, we've been studying through the letter to the Hebrews. It's one of the greatest books in the entire Bible, and it's a really important book because it ties together the Old Testament, the writings that happened before Jesus came, and it links them together with the New Testament. And what it shows us is how the whole Bible, the entire Bible, is a a cohesive whole. It's a whole story that's all about Jesus and how he saves. The two work together, and this book shows us that. So today we're finishing our study of this book, and we are going to be looking at the final chapter today. So this morning, let's begin our study of Hebrews 13 by reading our text. We're going to read verses 1 through 16, Hebrews chapter 13. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you are also in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money, and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life. Imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. Not by foods which have not benefited those who devoted them. We have an altar from which those who serve in the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach which he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to our God, that is, the fruit of our lips, that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the message of this chapter, and we pray that as we study these words, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts, Lord, that you would do a transforming work within us. Lord, we pray that we would see you in your beauty, in your grace, in your goodness, Lord, in everything that makes you wonderful. Lord, may we see it, may it be clear before our eyes, and may we truly see the gospel in this passage, Lord, the good news of who you are, Jesus, and what you've done to save us. So we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you have a junk drawer at your house? Junk drawer? I have a junk drawer. So a junk drawer is that place where you put all the random stuff that you don't have any other place for. But you don't want to throw it away because, I mean, some of it's useful, some of it's important, and you don't want to throw it away, so you put it in the junk drawer, and then maybe someday you'll go and retrieve it out of the junk drawer. Now, Hebrews chapter 13 kind of seems like the junk drawer 
of the book of Hebrews. It's just a bunch of random stuff that the author didn't want to throw away because it's important stuff, but he didn't really have a place for it. So he just kind of dumped it right in here in the junk drawer, chapter 13. Except that's not true. That's not what this is. It, it kind of appears that way at first, right? Like at first glance, it kind of appears like this is just, uh, you know, some extra stuff they didn't have another place for, so we just kind of threw it all in here, and it's just a list of, of moral injunctions, things that we're supposed to do. But I want to show you that if you look closely at this chapter and you give it a second look, you'll see this isn't a junk drawer of extra stuff. What this is is the, the message of this chapter is absolutely cohesive with the rest of the book. It, it's totally in line with the entire argument of what he's been making throughout the book. In fact, really here in chapter 13, he's landing the plane. He's saying, everything that I've set up until now, now I'm going to land the plane, and I'm going to bring it home, and here's what I want you to do with it. So remember, let's get some context first, okay? Remember, this book was originally a letter. It was a letter written to a group of people who were struggling. They were experiencing a lot of hardship and difficulty. Uh, many of them were experiencing these difficulties precisely because they had become Christians, so many of them, because they had become Christians, they had been rejected by their families and their communities because of their new faith in Jesus. And they were facing, some of them were facing other kinds of, of hardships and difficulties like we all do in life. But, and they, they began to ask questions like, like many of us do. They began to ask questions like, if God really loves me, if God really loves us, then why is he letting all of these bad things happen to us? Have you ever asked that question? That's the question they were struggling with. You see, in the face of hardship, in the face of difficulty, they were struggling to hold on to their faith. Maybe there's some of you who can relate to that yourselves. And throughout this letter, the writer has been writing to them, endeavoring through this book, or through this letter, because that's what it originally was, was a letter. He's endeavoring to show them and to show us as well now as, as readers today that the only thing which can make you able to stand, even when everything else in your life is falling apart, is for you to fix your eyes on Jesus, for you to lift up your eyes, for you to look above and beyond your present circumstances and to see the glorious hope that you have in Jesus. That is the only thing that will keep you going when everything gets hard, when your world is shaken, when things fall apart, is for you to fix your eyes upon Jesus, for you to raise your gaze and see above your current circumstances and see the hope, the promise, the grace that you have in Jesus. To see and to remember that in him you have a hope, you have a love, you have an acceptance, you have a value, you have an identity which no amount of hardship in this life can ever take away from you, which no one in this world can ever take away from you. And so in each and every chapter of this book, the writer has been pointing us to Jesus, helping us to see Jesus for all that he is, in all of his glory, so that we will confidently place our trust in him. And here in this final chapter, now the writer lands the plane by saying this, okay, I've been urging you to look to Jesus. I've been urging you to trust in Jesus, to follow Jesus. But here's the thing, you'll never be able to do that on your own. You will never be able to do that on your own. You need others to help you do that. You need a community. You need a church. Now remember, this letter was written to address a situation. And the situation it was written to address was that people were leaving the church. People were leaving the church. Why? Because, well, in some cases, it was because they had been ostracized by their families and their friends in the Jewish community. It's called the letter to the Hebrews because it was written to Christians who had grown up Jewish. They had grown up in the Jewish community, and now they were being ostracized from the Jewish community by their family and friends, the people they grew up with, because of their faith in Jesus. And some of these people were saying, it's too much. I mean, I, I just can't take it. I, I, I'm going to go back. 
And so they were leaving the Christian community and going back to the Jewish community, which almost always meant renouncing their faith in Jesus. And I think it's really hard for us today to really put ourselves and to understand how devastating it would have been for them to lose their community, to lose that community that they grew up with. We live in what is really the most individualistic society that has ever existed in the history of the world. We believe that our identity is something that we create through our accomplishments. You know, we create a resume. I, I did this. I went to school here. I got this degree. I, I accomplished this thing. That's how we build our sense of identity and our sense of value. But in ancient times and in many cultures today, non-Western cultures, they are not individualistic. They're very community-oriented, which means that you build your entire identity, your entire value in life comes from your family, your tribe, being part of a family. So I want you to understand that for these people, this was no small thing. To be losing their community was absolutely devastating. And we can see it would have been a huge temptation for them. And we see that some fell into this temptation of saying, you know what, it's too much. I put my faith in Jesus and I lost my family. I lost my community. They've turned their backs on me. I can't handle it. So if I have to choose between them, then I guess I'll choose my family. And this letter was written to address that. People were leaving the church. And some of them were probably saying, hey, look, I can still be a Christian in my heart. I can still be a Christian privately. I'm just not going to be part of the church anymore. But the writer's saying, no, that's not how it works. You can't do that. You need a community. I've been telling you over and over, look to Jesus, look to Jesus. But here's the thing, you will never be able to do it. You'll never be able to make it on your own without other people, without a community, without a church. He says this, by coming to Jesus, you may have lost your old community, but God is giving you a new community. And being a committed member of that community is absolutely vital to you being able to stand and being able to continually fix your eyes on Jesus and trust in him no matter what this life brings your way. And so here in chapter 13, the writer is telling us, and that's what I want you to see, is that this is the cohesion of this chapter. The writer is telling us, here's the kind of community that you are called to be. Here's the kind of community that you yourself desperately need in order to make it in this life and to be able to stand in faith and to be able to truly keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. And I got to say, I do think this is a really important message for us to hear today. Because again, we live in the most individualistic society that has ever existed in the history of the world. And how's that working out for us? I mean, in some ways, there are benefits to it, but in some ways, it's, it's also disastrous, right? Like, our society is plagued by loneliness. It's plagued by depression. And as a pastor, one of the most common things I hear over and over again is that people are lonely. They are struggling with loneliness. They struggle to find and build and keep deep, meaningful, lasting relationships. And yet, at the same time, we kind of shoot ourselves in the foot, don't we? Because at the same time, as a culture, we are so afraid of letting people in. We are so afraid of letting people get close. We are super vigilant about our privacy. We love our privacy. We're vigilant about guarding our privacy, not letting anybody in. And so we live in this weird space, don't we, where we want fellowship. We want it desperately, at least in theory. But at the same time, in practice, we avoid it because of the risks involved with it, and we find ourselves frustrated. And so the message of this chapter is extremely relevant to us today, that in order for you to stand, in order for you to grow, in order for you to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, you need a community. Are you looking for a resource to help you answer some of the most difficult questions about God in the Bible? Then we've got good news for you. Pastor Nick has written a book called The God I Won't Believe In. 
facing nine common barriers to embracing Christianity. In this book, Pastor Nick deals directly with some of the biggest questions people struggle with, such as how a loving God can allow innocent people to suffer, whether God condoned genocide in the Old Testament, or whether the Bible encourages the suppression of women and minorities. Does the Bible really say that some kinds of love are wrong? And is there any actual proof that God exists or that the Bible is trustworthy? Pastor Nick addresses these topics and more in this book, which is a great resource for anyone who wrestles with doubts or has concerns about these topics. And it is a great resource for those who want to help others who have questions about these topics. So to purchase this book, search for The God I Won't Believe In, Facing Nine Common Barriers to Christianity, wherever books are sold or visit nickkady.org. To celebrate the release of this book, we are offering a free copy of the book as our gift to any of our listeners who make a donation of any amount to support Be Set Free Radio at besetfreeradio.com. And now back to today's message. So the community, by the way, that's one of our core values here at Whitefields. We list our core values as gospel, mission, and community. So gospel, right? The good news of Jesus Christ, who he is and what he's done. We're not here to give you a, a list of moral commands. We're here to point you to Jesus and what he's done. Secondly, mission. That's, a, that's another core value, that God has given us his mission, that we do not only exist for ourselves. Our church does not just exist for us. We exist to spread the love of God in the world. And, and thirdly, community. So we want to connect people with God and with other people who are also seeking God. And so in a few weeks from now, we're going to be kicking off a community group endeavor again. So we're going to be re-envisioning what we do with community groups. We're going to be doing a new approach to it. And we were, here's how it's going to be different. We're going to start community groups that have a fixed start and end date. And so you're not committing for life. You're, you're committing for five meetings, which will happen every other week over the course of 10 weeks. And you'll be hearing more about this. We're going to be announcing this more and more in the coming weeks. But I want to encourage you to commit yourselves, to, to take this chance of committing yourself to five meetings, every other week meetings. We're going to have different groups. You can find one that works for you. We're going to start in mid-April, and, and we're going to see that. And I want you to see, get involved with one, and then see how you grow as a result uh, of building new relationships. So here in this passage, we see exactly what kind of community we need in order to stand and to thrive in this world that we live in. The title of this message is Citizens of the New City. Citizens of the New City. And here in this section, here's what we're going to talk about. Here's the big idea of the whole section. How to appropriately worship God as resident aliens and members of a new community. Okay, how to appropriately worship God as residents as resident aliens and members of a new community. So we're going to break that down into three parts and look at each of those three parts separately. So let's begin by talking about the first part that's found here in our text, how to appropriately worship God. The section really begins at the end of chapter 12. So if you look up a few verses from where chapter 13 begins and look at chapter 12, you'll see there that the author says in verse 28, he says this, Therefore, let us be grateful for having received a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. See, the only acceptable response to all that God has done for us, for, for sending Jesus to rescue us, for welcoming us into his family, for giving us eternal life and an unshakable kingdom, the only appropriate response to that is for us to worship, for us to worship him. But the question is, well, what exactly is that? Like, what does it even mean to worship? And how do we do that? And how does God want us to worship him? What is appropriate worship? 
In Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 1, Paul the Apostle addresses this exact same question. What is appropriate worship? What is the worship that is befitting God in light of what he has done for us? And here's what Paul the Apostle says there. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, in other words, because of what God's done, I appeal to you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. There's that word again, acceptable to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. So he says, here's what true worship looks like. It means signing over the title deed of your life. Signing over the title deed of your life over to God. Everything that you are, everything that you have, giving it to him. That is the only appropriate response to what God has done for you in Christ. Now, let me say this. This concept, this language of sacrifice, of giving your life to God as a living sacrifice, this would have been particularly meaningful For these people who had been born and raised in Judaism, because in Judaism, the way that you worshipped God was by making sacrifices. In the book of Leviticus, we read about the the Jewish sacrifices. There were five sacrifices that were made in ancient Judaism. If you're interested, go check out Leviticus chapters 1 through 7. They're all outlined there, what they were for and how they were done and all that. One of the sacrifices, for example, was the fellowship offering. So in this fellowship offering, you would make this sacrifice, and sometimes it would be meat, sometimes it would be something made out of dough, Uh, and you would make this sacrifice in order to express that you desired to have fellowship with God. You desired to have a relationship with God. Another sacrifice was a sacrifice of dedication. And again, you would take this, you slaughter an animal, you would take the meat from the animal. In the sacrifice of dedication, you would burn it on the altar, but you would burn it until it completely burned up. There would be nothing left. There would be nothing for you to take home. It was all gone. And what that represented, what it symbolized, was your idea, your desire to be yourself, totally devoted to God, to hold nothing back, to say, I'm all in, 100%. And that image of the burnt offering, which symbolized total dedication, that's the image that Paul draws on here in Romans chapter 12, where he says that true worship, the true worship that God desires, is for you to live your life, your whole life, as a living sacrifice for you to give yourself completely and wholly over to God. Here in Hebrews chapter 13, now the author draws on that same imagery, the imagery of sacrifice. He uses that word sacrifice two times to describe how we're to worship God. He says in verse 15, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to our God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge him. And then in verse 16, he says, And do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. So one of the big points the writer has been making throughout this letter to the Hebrews is that Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that was in the Jewish religious system. So in other words, everything in Judaism was a picture of Jesus that pointed to him and who he would be and what he would do. And one of the things that we were told in chapters 9 and 10 is that Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice, the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. And so for a Jewish person, this would have been, you know, leaving them feeling a bit curious and empty, perhaps, and wondering, well, what do I do next? So so they would say, look, if Jesus ended the sacrificial system, but sacrifice, that was how we worshiped God. So if Jesus ended the sacrificial system, then now how, how do we worship God if there's no more sacrifice to be made? And here, the author is answering that question. He says, this is the new kind of sacrifice. This is what acceptable worship looks like. This is how you sacrifice now that Jesus has come and been that one time for all sacrifice to end the old system. 
Now in the new system, this is how you worship. This is how you sacrifice. Verse 15, by offering a sacrifice of praise. In other words, we sing, we praise him, we use our lips, we use our mouths to praise his name. And 16, we don't just stop there. It's not just in word, it's also in deed. Verse 16, we worship God by the way that we live in the world. In Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus told his followers, his disciples, he told them this. He said, I'm building a new community and this community I'm building, it's going to be like a city on a hill for all the world to look at and to see. And your good deed will be the light of the world. That's an interesting phrase, the light of the world. Because there's another time when we have it recorded that Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And yet here he is telling his disciples, your good deeds are the light of the world. Brings up a question like, okay, so which one is it? How does this work? Is it he who's the light of the world or is it our good deeds that are the light of the world? Well, the way it works, of course, is kind of like how the sun works with the moon. So Jesus is the source of the light and we, like the moon, reflect that light. We have no light of our own. In fact, in the Gospel of John, chapter one, it actually tells us that. It says that in him, in Jesus was life and that life was the light of men. In other words, we don't have any light of our own. We just reflect his light as it shines on us. And that's the kind of people we're called to be. People who show the world, who reflect to the world who our God is by the way that we live. People who reflect the love, the grace, the kindness that he has shown us. We reflect that to those around us. Sometimes we talk as Christians about the glory of God. Or we'll say that, you know, we want to glorify God. Well, what is that? What does that actually mean? Like, what does that really mean? We know the word glory simply means light. It means a bright, brilliant, magnificent light. That's what glory means. And God's glory is that which is beautiful about him. It's his goodness, his beauty, his majesty. It's that which makes him wonderful and great. And when we talk then about glorifying God, what does that mean? What it means is that we make his glory visible to others to make his glory visible, to make it seen. We lift it up. See, it's already there. It already exists. We're not creating it. It's already there. We're just helping other people to see it. We're helping other people to recognize it, to see those things that are truly amazing and wonderful and good about him. And so along with worshiping God, with our mouths and with our words and song and in word, we also worship God and we respond to the gospel by living in a way that reflects who he is to the world. So again, this chapter is about how do we appropriately worship God as resident aliens and members of a new community. So let's look at the second part. How do we worship God now as resident aliens, resident aliens? In verse 14, the writer says, For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Earlier in this book, the writer talked about a city. He said that all the people who came before us who lived in faith, those famous people, Abraham, Moses, Joseph, they all lived seeking a city. But then he said, but that city they sought does not exist here on earth. They were looking for a city, a city which is the hope of the earth, the hope of the whole world, and yet it doesn't exist here on earth. The the great people of faith in the past, they looked forward to this city. They looked for it. What is this city that, that he's talking about? The city is heaven. He's referring to heaven. 
The city is heaven. At the end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, we see the Apostle John, he has this great vision. And, and as part of that vision, at the end of the vision, he sees this city descending from heaven. He gets a preview of that city which is to come. And he tells us what it's going to be like. And he says that in that city, God will be there and we will dwell with him forever. And there will be no more sickness, no more illness, no more death. There'll be no more pain, no more suffering, no more poverty, no more racism, no more hatred. All that is broken in this world will be healed. And if we are honest, that city is what all of us are looking for. In, in all of our endeavors, and in our heart of hearts, that city is what all of us seek after and long for. And the promise that the Bible gives us is that through Jesus, we will get to be part of that city. Right, That city is indeed coming, and through Jesus, we will get to be part of that city. And so the writer says, this is how we live our lives as Christians here on earth, with our eyes fixed on the city which is to come, waiting for it and looking for it and looking to it. But here's what's interesting. So another name that's used for that city, which is a reference to heaven, another name that's used for it is the kingdom of God, the place where God reigns. Throughout the Bible, there's this constant contrast given between the city of God and the city of man, between the kingdom of God and the kingdoms of this earth. And here's what we read in that verse we read earlier. Remember chapter 12, verse 28. Here's what it says. Therefore, since we have received, what? Since we have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. You've been listening to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We have three in-person services on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. And our 9.30 and 11 services are live streamed on our website for those who would like to worship with us online. We are located just east of County Line Road and Highway 119 at 2950 Colorful Avenue in Longmont. For more information or to hear other messages from Pastor Nick, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. Be Set Free is a listener-supported program. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support this ministry, you can send a donation via check to 2950 Colorful Avenue, Longmont, Colorado, 80504, or donate online at besetfreeradio.com.